Okay, so for today, we're going to have, be having a look, as I said, about that David sparing Saul's life on two occasions. <clears throat> the story we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to move through to, channel, uh, to chapter 26. So if you've got your Bibles, keep your Bibles open. I'll just be touching on some verses until we get to chapter 24, and then we'll end off with chapter 26. David's ascent to the throne was not an easy one. In chapter 18, we see a very, very jealous <clears throat> Saul. I mean, he was insanely jealous over what David was doing and accomplishing. And the reason for that is probably because the Lord had left him and sent an evil spirit upon him. But even more so than that, in a human level, David was very, very successful at all that he does, did. In 1 Samuel 18, the Bible says, in everything he did, he, David, had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in his campaigns. So today we're going to have a look at some, I think, really significant lessons for us as we trace David's ascent to the throne, as we trace his patient, long-suffering ascent to the throne, and as he dealt with King Saul, who was particularly bent on destroying him. So lesson number one for today is that Patience is a key. It's always a key to our walk with the Lord. If you want to be a believer without patience, you're not going to be a very happy believer. If you think you can be a Christian and not be a patient Christian, then you've lost the plot. And if by nature you're not a patient person, then I want to suggest you <laughs> start working on this little issue of patience. Um, yeah. Maybe you must come and drive with me in the car sometimes. <laughs> and you will realize that I'm preaching mostly to myself this morning about patience. <laughs> Some of the stuff that David went through. 1 Samuel 18, David is promised <coughs> Saul's eldest daughter, Merab, on the condition that he keeps fighting for him. Now, Saul's intention is that David goes out on these campaigns regularly against the Philistines and others so that he gets killed. So he offers, he barters, if you like, his eldest daughter in marriage on condition that he keeps fighting the campaign. But the text is clear. His intention is hoping that David gets killed. wonder how many parents there might be that use their children as a bartering tool. I mean, it's just wickedness. Then when the time comes to marry, Saul's given Merab away to another bloke named Adriel. And then he comes up with another plan. He then offers David Michal. And Michal happens to be in love with David, so it's not a bad thing. And uh, But Saul's got another plan here. In those days, they worked in a currency called bits. <clears throat> <laughs> this is a joke. <laughs> so Saul says to David, you can have Michal as a daughter if you go out and bring back to me 100 Philistine foreskins. Again, Saul's intention is that after 100 Philistines, one of them will ultimately kill, kill David. 
So his, his desire is not to be kind to David, to give David his daughter. His desire is to get David killed. So what does David do? He brings back 200, <laughs> not 100. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul again tries to kill David. <clears throat> David's wife at this stage, Michal, helps him to escape. That's a story in itself. He then flees <clears throat> Saul's uh, immediate grasp, goes to Samuel, tells Samuel what's going on. Saul finds out uh, that uh, David has gone to Samuel, and he sends a whole lot of guys to go and you know, kill David. And they come to where Samuel is, and all of these guys start prophesying. It happens again, and eventually Saul gets the hanging, and Saul himself goes to go and see what's happening. And we know the story, uh, Saul himself starts prophesying in, uh, in uh, Samuel's presence. 1 Samuel 20, and I'm just showing you this build up to David. I mean, he's trying to be killed all this time. 1 Samuel 20, we have the further story of Jonathan's loyalty towards David as Saul continues plotting David's death. Then in 1 Samuel 23, David is still being pursued. And then into chapter 24, we read the following. And this is the first bit of the story this morning. After Saul returned from verse 1, chapter 24, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So while Saul was busy doing his business, you know, making number two or whatever, there David went and cut off a corner of the robe. So that's how close he is to actually putting an end to the problem that's been plaguing him now for quite a while. I mean, this guy has been trying actively, deliberately to kill him. So all he does is cut off a bit of the robe. Every opportunity to kill Saul. But instead, what does he do? He waits patiently for God. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. This is the guy who was trying to kill him. This is the guy who's already been replaced by David. David himself has already been anointed as king. And yet he is so adamant that he's not going to touch what God originally put in place. He's going to let God take that out the way. He doesn't want to get involved at all. Verse 7, with these words, David rebuked his men, did not allow them to attack Saul. Remember, Saul's still busy trying to do his thing there in the cave. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. 
Then a little bit on in verse 8, we see this interaction between Saul and David. And Saul seemingly is regretful regarding his violent intentions and actions towards David. But we find out that that regret was short-lived because not long after, we, re we read a similar account in 1 Samuel 26. Go there now. 1 Samuel 26. So the first few verses we, we hear, we read that David learned that Saul was again after him and he sent out spies. He learns that Saul, yes, is indeed chasing after him. And so David goes looking for Saul and his army. He gets to a place where he's at a vantage point. He can see where Saul is bedding down for the night. He sees Abner the son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army right beside him, and he sees the entire army, 3,000 chosen men, Saul's men, surrounding him. Saul's in the middle with his major general right next to him. So then David asks, who's going to come with me, with me to have a look here? And his nephew Abishai volunteers to go with him. They come across the, the sleeping encampment, and there they find Saul in the middle, Saul's spear next to his bed, next to his head rather, with a jug of water next to him on the ground, and Abner lying next to him, the army surrounding him. So Daniel has crept into the situation at night while they're all asleep. Pick up verse 8 now. 1 Samuel 26 verse 8. Abishai said to David, again, same thing that happened in the cave. He says, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. <laughs> I mean, these guys are fast asleep. Just take the spear. I'll do it the first time. He won't even know that he's woken up because he'll go straight to wherever he was heading. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either, this, either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle or perish. In other words, he's saying something will happen. God will take care of this in his own time. Verse 11, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. Amazing. Here we see David's patience again as we did in the first incident where he spares Saul's life. David had learned that he could trust the Lord to deal with those who were opposed to him. He didn't take matters into his own hands and try and sort it out. It was not David's responsibility to dethrone the one whom God had enthroned. Isn't it so often true of us too that we so often find ourselves perhaps in a difficult situation that we want to take back the resolve, the power of resolve into our own hands. We are impatient with God. We are tired of waiting for God to do something. And so we just jump in boots and roll and end up making a major mess of it. See, a faithful servant, a believer in Christ, is patient even in the time of difficulty. We may not know what God is doing, but we do have his word. 
And God calls upon us to obey his word while he works out his will for our lives. We need to learn patience. Hebrews 6, 12 encourages us, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, like David, <laughs> inherit what has been promised. Lesson number one, patience is a key to our walk with the Lord. Lesson number two, if you're feeling somewhat overwhelmed today, you feel like you don't know how you're going to cope. I want to tell you there is always encouragement for the people of God. And we're going to learn that from David. Let's keep reading in 1 Samuel 26, this time from verse 12. So David took the spear and the water near Saul's jug and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, this is the main man now, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? You know, he's like fast asleep, getting woken up out of a sleep. Who are you that calls to the king? <laughs> now David's off him little bit of a taunt here. You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? You know, you're the big, you're the big cheese here. Why didn't you guard the Lord, your Lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your Lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master. The Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? <laughs> you can just imagine poor Abner. I mean, he's the toughest of the tough, you know. 3,000 people plus him around King Saul. And Saul's spear, personal spear, and water jug is missing. <laughs> he must have been flabbergasted, completely horrified by what he saw. Saul, <clears throat> who we haven't interacted with yet, but I mean, he, he must have gone to bed thinking he was empowered. He could sleep in peace. You know, all his security systems were in place. The burglar alarm was working 100%, you know, electrified fences and beams and house alarm and everything was working. And there, David's standing on the other side with the spear and the water jug. See, the reality is Saul was actually utterly defenseless. Here's the encouragement. Saul was impenetrable. He had the biggest and the best general guarding him. 3,000 hand-picked soldiers. His spear next to him where he went to sleep. And what happens? He's actually defenseless. In the face of God, he's defenseless. David had disarmed Saul of his spear, which was obviously the symbol of his power, and it would have been a sign for, for, Dave, for Saul, but it was a definite sign for David. 
David must have been encouraged. See, God was in control. God knows. God sees. God will act in his time. He will do. I mean, here's David just walking in and taking the stuff and walking out because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. What an encouragement. God was in sovereign control over his situation, and I believe over our situations at all. There are always signs of encouragement for us. If we just look around, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So if you're in a terrible spot this morning, just start counting blessings, and you're going to get quite a shock how blessed you actually are. But I don't think that that's what this is really all about. See, sometimes God's encouragements can be very dramatic and sometimes very ordinary, but we don't actually have to look for spears or jugs or, I don't know why I said glass jugs on the screen, but jugs, water jugs. We've got, because I have a glass jug next to my bed every night I go to sleep. We have his written word. If you want encouragement, you've got his word. Do you believe his word? Do you trust his word? There's a guy that I follow quite a lot. His name is Justin Pieces, and he says the following. If you want to hear from God, read the Bible. And if you want to hear an audible voice from God, read it aloud. I love it. I absolutely love it. If you want encouragement from God, go to the Bible. If you want to hear God speaking to you audibly, read it aloud, and you will hear God speaking audibly to your heart. We've got so many people today in the church running around looking for a word from God. So many so-called prophets, so many so-called prophecies. I want to just issue you a little warning today. Be careful of the thus says the Lord that is not from the Scripture. Because the moment that person says thus says the Lord and they put it, they speak those words, they are actually saying what they are saying is equivalent to the very Word of God. They are putting it on the same level as the written, revealed, final Word of God. And there's Severe warnings for those who add anything to God's word. Be careful. Be careful of these so-called modern prophets. Be careful of these spiritual fortune tellers who go around telling people just what they want to hear. That is not the encouragement that you need. That encouragement is going to disappoint you and it's going to take you down and it's going to land you in a crisis of faith at best. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. That's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. And it's in this book. 
2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You need encouragement? Go and read the Bible. Don't go and look for that prophet. Don't go and look for that charlatan. Don't go and look for that person that's just going to take you down. There is always encouragement for God's people. And that's what this story this morning teaches me. Lesson number three. Tough times will happen to everyone at some time. Get over it. If you believed those people who tell you it's all health and wealth, that it's all hunky-dory and everything's all good all the time, you've believed the wrong person. You're going to have difficult times in this world. Some people seem to have more difficult times than others. I don't know how it all works, but every single one of us has difficult times at some stage. Look at 1 Samuel 26. We read now from verse 17. Saul has now woken up. He recognizes David's voice and says, Is that your voice, David, my son? I mean, what an absolute Think of a good word to say. My son, you know, is that you, my son? Meantime, he's encamped there with 3,000 of his best men, and he's determined this time he's going to kill David. Is that you, my son? I mean, what a two-faced... Huh? (laughs) David replies. Look at David's reply. Yes, it is, my Lord, the king. And then David has, he's got a, he's got a peer on him. He, he goes and he challenges. He says, he added, why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? What am I guilty of? Now let my Lord, the king, listen to his servant's word. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If I ever, men have done it. May they be cursed before the Lord. Then you can just hear David's heart. They have driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. I mean, Saul must have been shocked to wake up and and hear this interaction between David and Abner shouting to one another. And then David asking Saul, why are you chasing me? I mean, what have I done? What am I guilty of? Then David saying to Saul, they have driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance. Go serve other gods. See, David's bemoaning the fact that he could not worship any longer at the tabernacle. He could not go to where he wanted to go and worship. Basically being driven out to go and worship supposedly other gods. Now it's important to realize that under Saul, King Saul, worship of Yahweh had badly languished. Remember Saul had disobeyed the Lord's direction through Samuel and the ark had actually never returned to its place in the tabernacle. Furthermore, in his paranoia, and we read this in 1 Samuel 22, Saul had slaughtered all the priests who attended the tabernacle at a place called Nob. In fact, the whole town he had wiped out as well, all except one 
priest, Abiathar, who had fled to David. So the worship of Yahweh was so diminished that Saul, in actual fact, in 1 Samuel 28, a few chapters on from this, and God willing, we'll look at this next week. The worship of Yahweh had so diminished that Saul went and consulted the witch at Endor, spiritist medium. That's how bad things had got in Saul's life. So David was not loving his current circumstance, and he was not loving the fact that he could not worship God where he wanted to. The point is this. Tough times will happen to everyone, and even, and maybe more so, especially in the context of the church and in our faith. Let's face it. Who has never got hurt in church? Who has never been disappointed by a leader in church? Who has never had a pastor or a great person of God, you know, that hasn't disappointed them? Thinking of a guy like Ravi Zacharias, the greatest apologist Christendom, I think, has ever seen. I used to drink every word that this man said. He was brilliant. I aspired to be like him. I wouldn't ever manage to get close. He was brilliant. What we didn't know, we only found out after he died, He had a series of massage parlors that he owned that he used to go and reap benefits from. I mean, I was devastated, gutted. Now, obviously not not terribly so because my faith is not in man, but it's in God. But there was a disappointment, you know. And how many of us haven't been disappointed? wonder how many of you I haven't disappointed. How many of you haven't got so the mooring with me that you stayed away from church for three weeks? You know, <laughs> it happens. The point, is, and so the, my point is, tough times will happen. They come to everyone. Disappointment, disillusion, hurt, division, personal pettiness, all of the stuff going on, mostly usually caused by I, because we're not here for God, we're here for man. The health, wealth, and everything is always hunky-dory preachers are not correct. Let me tell you that most of what they say appeals to our flesh, and that's what we like what they say. They take 95% or 98% truth, and they just add their little bit onto that. And we like what they say because they're quoting Scripture, and it all sounds wonderful. But at the end of the day, all they're after is your money or your adoration or your worship. They're not pointing you towards Jesus. They're not longing that you would worship the one that they supposedly claim to follow. It's all about me. See, I can appeal to my flesh. My flesh jumps up and grabs that. I mean, if I can say this enough times and I get that, then I'm going to say this that many times and hope to get that as well. Watch out. Jesus said, I've told you these things so you may have peace. This peace that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Uh, 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 uh. See, it's based on Scripture. (laughs) He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I was thinking about the story of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he went through a whack of a time. This story in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Alexander the metal, work did, metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Who's going to repay the metal worker? The Lord. <laughs> Was it up to Paul to repay? Mm-mm. 
the Lord will repay. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But then in verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the next time you go through a horrible time in your life, or if you're going through one, how about standing up? and reading out aloud so that God's words become audible in your spirit. And read aloud, I will be delivered from the life. The Lord will rescue me from He will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Slightly a different perspective from getting upset because you couldn't get that car you wanted. You couldn't get that job that you wanted. Slightly a different perspective when we start looking at things above and not at what we're facing around you. Friends, tough times will happen to everyone at some time. Get used to it. My last thought this morning, and I love this, we are never without hope. Never. You are never, ever without hope. No matter how bad or hopeless the situation seems, we are never without hope. Let's keep reading in chapter 26, verse 22. Saul said, I have sinned. Uh, We've heard this before. (laughs) We heard this in chapter 24 when he tried to kill him, okay? I've sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have erred greatly. You're right. So David's response, here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of you young men come over and get it. And this, listen to what David says. He doesn't believe a word of Saul's, obviously. He says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. By the way, those are the last words that Saul ever spoke to David. (laughs) Quite prophetic. (laughs) May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. So as before, Saul admits that he had sinned, he had acted foolishly, made a great mistake, you know. David says, yes, your spear, get someone to fetch it. But he didn't believe a word of Saul's apology. He simply said, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. And the point is this, David's hope is in the Lord, not in man. David's hope is in the Lord. I mean, he's, he's been proven over and over and over again. He can't hope Saul will ever remediate. He'll ever become right. 
Saul just going from bad to worse. But his hope's not in, the, in, in Saul. His hope is in the Lord. With the word in our hearts, with the word in our hands, we are never without hope as long as our hope is sought in God and not in man. Friends, hear me today. He will never, ever fail us. He will never fail us. Even if things look like a failure, even if it seems like it'll never, it can never whatever, God himself will never fail us. He knows bigger, he knows better, and his sovereign plan will always, will always endure. Psalm 20, 20 verse 7 gives us a good tip. It says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. They who trust in chariots and horses are brought to their knees and fall, but we who trust in the name of the Lord our God, we rise up and stand firm. In Romans chapter 15, the Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are never without hope, never, if our hope and our trust is in God Almighty. So as we conclude this morning, what lessons can we learn from David's experience of twice having the opportunity to kill Saul, but instead spares his life? Number one, patience is a key to our walk with God. God will work all things out in his time. <laughs> Does he not say that? All things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Patience is that key. Let's imitate people like David in the scripture. Even though he had opportunity on two occasions without any issue at all to put the end to the issue that was bugging him, he chose not to. Lesson number two, there's always encouragement for God's people. God is in control. Trust him. Trust his word. Even if you can't see the end result of... Uh, ever coming to what you would want it to be. Just keep trusting him. There is always encouragement, and it's found in his word. Don't run to people. Don't run to man. Nothing wrong with having a brother or sister who will speak the word of God into your life from the word of God. That's wonderful to have friendships like that. But at the end of the day, our encouragement comes from the word to our hearts. Number three, tough times will happen to everyone. Get over yourself. Jesus never said it would be easy. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a daily process of dying to ourselves in order to follow Jesus. Get our eyes off here. Get our eyes up there. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. <laughs> So get over yourselves. Tough times happen to everyone. Number four, we are never without hope as long as that hope is within him. Amen.